Welcome to the official podcast of the Mount Rubidoux Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thank you for joining us on our series, Crossing Over. Our speaker for today is Michael B. Kelly II. He brings the message entitled, Greatness Awaits. Thank you all so much again for, for hanging with us. We know the day just went a little long, but we want to cast that vision, you know, to you so you can really see where God is, is calling us to go. And what I'd love to do just for the next few moments as we kick off our, our new series called Crossing Over, um, we're, we're going to be looking at the children of Israel moving uh, from Egypt, crossing over into Canaan and how God wants to be able to do that in our lives. I believe in 2019, there's some stuff you need to cross over into. And so we want to talk simply on this subject and crossing over part one. We will talk under the subject, greatness awaits. Can somebody say that? Greatness awaits. Let's say that again. Greatness awaits. Let's go ahead and pray. God in heaven, we're just so thankful that you have already given us victory. Greatness awaits. We need to get to it. And today, give us the wisdom, knowledge, understanding, but most importantly, application so that we can experience the greatness that you have for us. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. And amen. I don't know if you're one of these parents. Usually it's the dad who does this. But I was one of these parents that loved to scare my kids. You guys like to scare your kids? Yeah, I love that. Um, Because their reactions are just amazing. They're priceless. And so my girls were scared of different things. But one of the things like most kids were afraid of is they're afraid of vacuum cleaners when they were when they were growing up. And, and, and so it, it was the most awesome experience for me um, to be able to just get them with the vacuum cleaner. And I'll never forget, uh, Genesis was sitting down and she was doing something and I was creeping up behind her, you know, and, I, you know, the vacuum wasn't on yet. And, and so I remember, man, I, I, I turned on this vacuum. As a matter of fact, I got the video. Y'all want to see it? No, I'm just kidding, because Genesis is here, and she's like, no, right? No, and and so I turned the vacuum on, and it was awesome. I mean, the look of terror on her face, combined with how fast she ran, she ran so fast, literally her diaper just fell all the way off, man, because she was scared. So so I just love doing doing stuff like that. I know, CPS, right? Um, so, so this thing kind of can sometimes come back and haunt you because then when we came out here, I, I wanted them to experience the stuff that I do, uh, you know, at Disneyland. And Disneyland doesn't have big roller coasters, but they did open one. It's now called the Incredible Coaster at California Adventure. And I said, girls, come on, we're going to go on this ride. And they were like, no, we're not going on that. I said, why? It's because we're scared. They said, look, we've never been on this drop. Look how big the drop is. They got this incredible loop. I said, come on, y'all. Can, can we please go? Like, these tickets were expensive. I really need us to go on everything um, so we can get our money's worth. And they're like, no, we're not going. And so, you know, when you can't convince your kids, you just bribe them. And so I said, okay, if you guys go, I will buy you anything that you want in this park, right? It was cool because they're still little, so what do they really want? Now, I can't say that now, <laughs> 13 and 15, because uh, they'll come up with some stuff. And so they're like, anything? I said, anything. They didn't know that my card only had a certain amount of money in it. But um, I made the promise. I said, all right, Daddy, let's go. So we wait in the line, and, and we get there. And, and there was this moment in the ride where you're committed. Like, you can't get off. 
And, and, and so we get to that place, and they're sitting in front of me, and I'm behind because I didn't want one of them to go by themselves. And it is in that moment where I felt like the most human being, the worst human being on the face of the planet. Because as I'm sitting there looking at them, there is terror in their face. I mean, they are sitting there and they're trying to keep a brave face on, but they are looking so frightened. And then there's this countdown, if you've ever been on, on that ride, where he goes, five, four, three, two, one. And they, we just, boom, we just go off. And the screams were like weeping and gnashing of teeth, man. They were going there. And so we zip through, you know, going stuff, and then you start to go up. And then they go through this first drop. But here's something I noticed. The screams started to change a little bit. It wasn't a scream of terror. But it was like the scream of excitement. And the smiles started to be on their face. They were still screaming, but they were smiling. And then by the time we got off of this ride, at two minutes and about 15 seconds, they look at me and they say, Daddy, let's go again. <laughs> and I like create these monsters because now they'll go on stuff I won't even go on. I'm too old to go on some of that stuff now. Uh, but they love it. And, and here's the thing that they understood. Will Smith said it uh, just recently this year, and I wish I, I, I could have said it to them back here. But here's the principle that I was able to share with them that day. I'm going to put a remix on how Will Smith said this. God places some of the greatest experiences and blessings on the other side of fear. On the other side of fear... There is some experience and there is some great, there, there, there is something on the other side of it that if you could just get past that fear, you'd be able to experience something that is going to change your life and be able to actually blow your mind. But for the sake of this series, here's how I want to change that kind of phrase a little bit. On the other side of fear, greatness awaits. You could actually even substitute fear because for some of you, it's not going to be fear. On the other side of your mediocrity, greatness awaits. On the other side of your laziness, greatness awaits. On the other side of your depression, greatness awaits. On the other side of your mess, greatness awaits. And here's the thing that you got to understand, that there is greatness that God has in store for all of us. And here's the reason why. Because God is not mediocre. Oh, wait, hold on. Are y'all listening to me? Like, the Bible says that great and excellent is his name, so God does not have regular stuff for you. As a matter of fact, it says every good and perfect gift comes from him, and Jesus is so straight that he's like, look, you think that I'm doing some cool stuff, greater things will you do. And there is greatness that awaits every single one of us if we can just get past whatever that thing is that is preventing us from experiencing the greatness. Are y'all making, is that making sense today? Now, here, here's the thing. When I say greatness, some of us get intimidated by that. And the reason we get intimidated by greatness is because we are always equating greatness with some sort of kind of result, and it's usually a result that we see other people achieving and experiencing. So if I say, if you're writing a book, and I say you need, God has a, be you to be a great author, the way you're going to measure you being a great author is whether or not you have a bestseller. Can we just keep that real? Like, if you don't have a bestseller, how can you be considered a great author? Because those are the great people. If you're a singer, you'll be a great singer if you start to win awards and you get to travel and go a lot of places. And so what happens is we're afraid of the word greatness because we define greatness sometimes by celebrity status, by a certain amount in our bank account, by a certain amount of followers that we might have on Instagram. And so some of us are nervous to do something because we're afraid that if we claim that we're great, but we don't get the kind of results, then that must mean at the end of the day, guess what? You probably weren't great. But here is the thing that I'd like to do for us in 2019 
to redefine this idea of what greatness is. And here's why I think greatness is when you look at scripture and the principles of God. Greatness is when you understand God's will and purpose for your life and you live in that with reckless abandon. I'm going to say that again. Greatness is when you understand what God's will and purpose is for your life, not Oprah's, not somebody else, and you live in that with reckless abandon. And so the, 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 the win for you is not going to be the results. The win is you being in the will and purpose of God. See, this is what we got to understand. Paul says something so clear. He says, one plants, that's their will. That's God's purpose for them. The other one waters, that's their purpose and God's will for them. But it's not up to them to get the increase. It's up to God to get the increase. And your responsibility is to stay in his will and live out your purpose and leave the results up to God. See, some of us are afraid to step over into greatness because you think greatness is about results. There are a lot of people who get results and they still ain't great. Because sometimes you can get results without being in his will. Are are y'all following me? See, the the, the greatness is when you can have the peace to know that this is God's will, this is my purpose, and I'm living in it. That's is greatness. So much so to the point I'm saying, you know, we, we, we get so excited. Our MD uh, uh, Justin nominated for, for, for not one, but actually two Grammys. Come on, somebody say amen, right? Like, what? And so we're sitting here saying to ourselves, like, yo, that's, that's pretty dope. Look, 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 can we just keep that real? Like, that's pretty dope. Brother's nominated, you know, for, for, for two Grammys. And here's what we're going to say. If he wins even just one of the two, I mean, we're going to be like, yo, man, yo, you, you great, dog. You great. Let me tell y'all something. Justin ain't great when he wins the Grammy. He's been great because for the last 10 years, he's been living in God's will and his purpose. And he ain't been worried about no Grammys. He's just been worried about being in his purpose and being in God's will. And when he focused on that, God opened up the door later for the Grammy. See, and the problem that we're not going to get, some of the things we think we need to get, is because you're trying to get it. And the one thing that you ought to be after is saying, God, I just want to be in your purpose, and I just want to be in your will. And that is greatness. That makes sense to me you say amen. Amen. And so here's here's what I want for us. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about how to determine what God's will and purpose is for your life. I'm going to let you all do that, because that's tough. I know some people are like, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? Uh, But today, I want to talk about the stuff that gets in the way of your greatness, that gets in the way of you accomplishing and living in this thing called God's will, purpose for your life. I want to talk about things that get in the way. And I think the best way, we're going to go for the next four, four weeks on this journey for the children of Israel and how they crossed over and some of the things they had to get through to experience their greatness. But I want to start, before we get to the children of Israel, I actually want to start with their leader, Moses. Because you see, Moses was called to greatness. And you're going to see in this conversation with God, as God is calling him to his will and his purpose, there's some stuff that Moses got in the way that was preventing him at this moment 
from being able to walk into the greatness that God has in store for him. And so I really want to talk through that with you. And I'm just going to be very quick with that because I know that we're short on our time. But before we get to exactly this conversation with Moses, the context of Moses interacting with God is so important. Now, the Bible in Genesis, the last chapter of the book of Genesis, ends with these very interesting words. Joseph there is about to die. He's had this incredible journey uh, throughout Egypt, become one of the prime ministers of Egypt, one of the most powerful men in Egypt. And when he dies, he tells his children, here's what I want you all to do. I want you to take my bones and carry them to Canaan. When I die, take my bones and carry them to Canaan. And here's the reason why. Because I know that God made us a promise. And although I'm not alive to see that thing happen, I want to make sure that when I get resurrected, are y'all listening to me? I don't want to be resurrected in Egypt. I want my bones to be in Canaan. Now, this was not only good for Joseph to hear, but imagine the encouragement he just poured into everybody else around him. Because remember, God now, they're wondering, God, when are you going to do this thing? Like, this Egypt thing is starting to turn a little bit. Uh, We don't know what's starting to happen. We're not slaves just yet, but the way they're treating us, we know that's coming. Some's coming. So God, we're great. Now here's what happens. Joseph makes his promise. The people hear it. They get encouraged. He has his children and four generations of Joseph's family passes and dies and the promise still isn't fulfilled. They don't hear a word from God. They got the promise, but they ain't heard no word from God. But Joseph's going to get his bones out of Egypt. But man, is there anybody left who even remembers that he said that? To add insult to injury, when you get to Exodus, the Bible then shows this, that not only is God silent, not only is he not moved, but there now is a new Pharaoh who does not know Joseph. Now, see, that's key because, you see, for the children of Israel, at one time, there was someone in the White House that looked like them, right? Like, that that, that could identify with them. That, that, that could understand their struggles because he had kind of been where they were. That, see, 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 Joseph was like, yo, I may be working for Egypt, but I know where I come from, right? But now, there's a new Pharaoh who's got a different agenda. And the Bible makes something clear that this thing is so far removed, he don't even know who Joseph is. Not only that, to add even further insult to injury, the children of Israel are like Bebe's kids. We don't die. <laughs> we multiply. They're just having babies, man. And they keep having babies. And so the Pharaoh's like, yo, if they actually figure out who they are and the potential they have, they can actually overthrow us. So here's what we're going to do. Every time there's a male born, you know, we're we, we going to go ahead and, 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 and kill that child. And so they wanted the, the handmaids uh, to be there to watch these, is, the, the, these uh, Hebrew women give birth. But the first time he made the edict, it wasn't working because the, the women caught this. And for some reason, like these Hebrew women were so strong, they didn't need epidural or anything like that. So, so by the time that the handmaid went to get stuff ready, they just pushed. Ah, baby was out. Boom. And they try to hide them things. <laughs> That's Bible. It's like, if I to kill, is it a boy? Yes. <laughs> it's moving it. So Pharaoh's like, all right, this, this, this ain't going to work. <laughs> so he sets it up again for this edict to take place. And then we're going to introduce 
to this character in the story. Don't know his name yet, but this, this midwife, she gives birth to her son and, and keeps him and hides him for three months. Recognizes that this new edict is passed down. She says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put him in the, in the river. Sends his sister to watch him and sees that one of the Egyptian women, Pharaoh's daughter, comes, draws him from the river. Y'all know the story. You've seen Prince of Egypt. <laughs> or Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, right? As biblically inaccurate as they are, we, we still love them. Um, and, and, and pulls them and, and pulls him from the baby and looks at this baby sister, unbeknownst, and says, I need someone to nurse this child. She goes, gets mama. See, see the movies are different, aren't they? Movies are a little different, aren't they? Goes, gets mama. And so mama, you know, is able to get reunited. So the Bible makes something very clear. This is such a short time. It's like a two-hour, four-hour movie, but this is only like four verses in Scripture. All right? And, and so Moses now grows up, but something is very clear, that he grows up in the Egyptian household. He grows up learning the Egyptian language. He grows up learning the things of Egypt. He grows up in this home. He's got privileges. He's eating all different kinds of food and those different kinds of things. Moses is having an amazing life. He's having an amazing life. But then something interesting actually happens in the scripture. For the Bible says these words in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11. And here's what it says. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. I want to read that again. Moses has grown up and he goes out and looks at his brethren and sees their hard labors. Because even though he's grown up in an Egyptian household, he hasn't forgotten he's actually Hebrew. Somebody's going to catch that in a moment. Not only does he see their burdens, he then starts to look and sees that one Egyptian is beaten on one of his people. So the Bible says that Moses looks around and he looks to the left and he looks to the right and then he goes, kills this brother who's beaten up one of his brethren and hides him in the sand. And here's what ought to blow your mind about this. Moses was willing to give up his Egyptian privileges because he got tired of seeing his people being oppressed. Y'all know where I'm coming with that thing. Because you see, there are some of us who have grown up and now live in the Egyptian palace and you're eating Egyptian vegan food and now you've got the Egyptian car and you've got the Egyptian home. And some of us like to use this statement. You ought not forget where you came from. Let me tell you this. You'll never forget where you came from. That's not the problem. The problem is we leave people behind. And if we go ahead, we ought to be bringing people with us. And we ought to be willing to lose out on Egyptian privileges to help out with some oppressed Hebrews. You see, anytime you're going to help somebody Least, least fortunate than you, you're going to have to give up something that God has blessed you with. But here's what I've learned. He hasn't blessed you with it for you. He actually blessed you with it to help somebody else who's behind you. Is that making sense, y'all? So let me tell you one of the things uh, that, that, that I appreciate uh, about my brother, Devon Franklin, and over nine years ago when he first met me, he's like, look, Mike, I'm climbing, I'm climbing up. God is blessing me. He's moving me. I'm going here. And it's easy for him to just be like, oh, I'm doing that. But you know what he does? Every door he walks through, he puts a doorstop in it. Y'all not hearing me right now. He puts a doorstop in it because he says, Mike, if you need to walk through this, I'm going to bring you along with me. And I wish all of us had the mentality where we could say, as we go, there's somebody else we're taking with us. We can't forget where we came from from, but more importantly, don't leave people behind. 
Are y'all with me so far? And so Moses is like, bet. I'm, man, you, y'all trying to, trying to kill, kill my folk? No, he does that. Pharaoh hears about it. I'm skipping over one part of the story because I want to rewind to that. And he takes off and he has to run because now Pharaoh's trying to kill him. Pharaoh's trying to kill him. He runs off to Midian. And he's working with this dude, Jethro. He's, he's, he, he finds out, you know, who Jethro is, likes one of his daughters. They get married. This is over like 40 years. This, this thing is, is long past. Moses, who used to be in Egypt, used to be in the palace, but because he helped his people, now is just a shepherd. Just with a staff in his hand. And so now he's doing his work. Because here's what Moses understands. Right now, that must be my purpose. That must be my, what God's will is for me. So, all right, I'm, I'm just going to do this. He sees this bush burning. It's not being consumed. And so he wants to check it out. And he hears this voice call him Moses, Moses. Now, that's not by accident. Anytime God, God uses uh, your name twice, it's actually a prophetic call. And it's not just a prophetic call to you. It's a prophetic call on you. And so what God is actually doing in this moment is he's telling Moses just by calling his name twice, I've got something destined for you. And before I even explain it to you, I'm going to call you by it. So he says, Moses, Moses, I got to talk to you. But before you do, you know, we don't we don't wear shoes in this house. I got some socks over there by the gate. <laughs> Yo, just real talk, I don't do that because I don't know who else's feet have been in there, so I just want to let you know I'll bring my own socks when I go over, right? But so he takes his shoes off his feet, and, 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 and here's what's incredible. God could have immediately just started talking to Moses about what he's calling him to do. But listen to what God does in Exodus chapter 3. He says, Moses, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's what he says to him. He says, I want to let you know something, that I have seen the oppression of my people, and I have watched the oppressor. Y'all missed that. He says, I'm not just looking at what is happening to Israel. I'm looking at who's doing it to Israel. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, why does God go on five or six verses explaining the fact that he has seen it, He has heard it and that he's looking at it because here is what God needs Moses to understand. That in your minds, for about 300 or so years, I've been quiet. You haven't heard from me and you probably thought I wasn't there. But I want to explain to you that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So y'all don't get this twisted. I'm the same one who made the original promise. Not only was I the one that made the original promise, the whole time you thought I was doing nothing, I was just watching. I was looking. I was bleeding with you. And I was waiting for the right moment and the right time to be able to raise somebody up. And that's a word for us today because God's silence is his preparation. See, 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 here's the thing. I'm learning. God can't tell you everything yet because if he told you, it'd be too much for you to handle. So sometimes he's just got to be quiet and let the process take place. And then when it's time, you should have been trusting him the whole way. See, there's some of you right now, they're like, God, I've wanted this for my career and I've wanted this for my life and I've wanted that for that and I haven't heard from you, I haven't heard from you. You've got to keep on believing because if this is his purpose, if this is his will, even if he's silent, it's going to come. Does that make sense, y'all? So he's got to explain that to Moses. Like, look, I know you didn't think I was here, but I'm, I was the whole time. And so he goes 
to Moses. Here's what he does. I'm going to be super, super quick on this. He goes to Moses in verse 10. And here's what he says. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Here's what God's saying. This is my will for your life. And this is my purpose for your life. You are going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And if you can operate in that, Moses, there's your greatness right there. If you can just operate in that. Now, I'm sorry, y'all. This is not Moses asking God for what God is my will for life. God, don't you wish God did that? Just Instead of you asking, he just showed up and said, this is what I want y'all to do. And it's clear. Come on, y'all. That would be straight. You ain't got to go through all that fasting. Moses ain't got to fast. He ain't got to pray. He ain't got to call preachers. He ain't got to run it by his friends. I mean, he's just chilling. And God's like, yo, this is what I want you to do. So if I'm Moses, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, bet. Hey, Moses. But Moses said to God, that's so dope. I love God because Moses is literally for the next two chapters about to try to convince God while that's not his will and his purpose. (laughs) So he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? So here's Moses' problem. That's not humility. I want to make that very clear. Like, this is not Moses, like, oh, God, who am I that you would call me to say, no, that's not God. He's just like, who am I? Now, how do you know? Because let's do good biblical exegesis. How do we know? In the previous chapter, when Moses saw his brethren being hurt, he goes in, kills the Israelite, excuse me, kills the Egyptian to save the Israelite. Then what he does is he, in the next verse, goes out to where they are working to try to rally them together to make the exodus region. So in this moment, he is trying to be their leader. They look at him and say, nah, dog, you the one who killed the Egyptian and we're in trouble. We don't want you to lead us out. And when Moses knew that they, he had been rejected, he then got scared, knew that this was out and began to bounce. And so Moses is saying, who am I? Not from the standpoint of humility, but he's like, God, I can't do this because I've already been rejected. How can I lead if these people you want me to lead have already said no? And here is the reason that some of us are so afraid to step out into greatness. You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of the no and the embarrassment it's going to cause and the pain that's going to come along with it. And all the hard work that you put into it. And then when you launched it, four people show up. And you're like, help us, God. Like, God, what, what, what? What am I supposed to do? I can't take any more rejection. And here's the thing that I love about this idea with rejection. Because we do not serve a high priest that is not out of touch with our infirmities. Because if there's anybody who understands rejection, it's Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to say, to be told no. Because every single one of us in this room is told Jesus no. 
when he's walking up and down the face of the planet uh, and, and he's talking and giving good messages and good words and the people say, you know what? We don't want to hear that stuff anymore. And the Bible says in John that many of his disciples walked away from him and walked with him never again. And the boldness of Jesus didn't turn to the 12 and say, well, guys, okay, do I need to dumb down my message or do I need to change it? I hope y'all don't go anywhere because I really need some followers. I'm so tired of this rejection. He looked at Peter, James, and John and all those disciples and said, well, you go to. He said, because I know what my purpose is. And I know what I'm here for. And here's the word I need you to understand. That just because you're in your purpose in God's will, doesn't mean you won't be rejected. You've got to be uncomfortable with no. You've got to be uncomfortable with being rejected. You've got, it's going to happen. But greatness is on the other side of rejection. Moses says, well, not only have I been rejected, but there's something else implied in the rest of the text. Moses also doesn't think he's prepared. He doesn't think that this task is something that he's personally been prepared for. And here's the thing that Moses does not yet understand, and God gets, gets a moment to be able to explain it. But what Moses does understand is that everything that has happened in his life has prepared him for this moment. Because here's what I want to suggest to you. Whatever doesn't kill you prepares you. I want to say that again. Whatever doesn't kill you prepares you. Now, some, some, some might think, oh, that's a cool little preaching point, a little fancy thing that preachers like to say. You don't get those words. But no, I need you all to hear this because God opened up my eyes to this. Whatever doesn't kill you prepares you. Now, let me let you know, we have an enemy called the devil. Now, when some of us look at the devil, here's what we think about the devil. Here's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to get you to sin. He wants you to sleep with people you shouldn't sleep with. He wants you to lie. He wants you to cheat. He wants you to steal. He wants you to do these kinds of things. He wants you to break the Sabbath. This is what we look at the devil, that that's what he wants to do. He wants us to go around and commit all these different sins so that we can hurt and upset God. And that's the way we picture the devil. But that's not the way Jesus described the devil. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, the thief comes to kill. Yo, I don't need to hear nothing else. The devil ain't just trying to get you to lie. He's trying to kill you. Are y'all hearing me? There is a hitman who is after you every single day, and he's trying to kill you in your life. He's trying to kill your marriage. He's trying to kill your family. And if he had his way, he'll kill you. He's just trying to get you to sin. Jesus is like, y'all understand who this joker is. He's literally after your life. Can you imagine if you knew somebody who lived in your neighborhood wanted to take your life? You would live differently, wouldn't you? You get some training. You ain't going to come to me for prayer. You're going to get trained. Because you know this person is trying to kill me. But here's what you got to understand. Every day that you're alive is a day that grace blocked, oh, come on y'all, y'all not hearing this thing today, man. That grace got in the way of the devil not just trying to get you to sin, but trying to take your life. 
And what the devil doesn't understand is every attempt that he tried to kill you, that he failed, he's preparing you for you to enter into greatness. The devil is creating a monster. And this monster's about to be unleashed in 2019. Because whatever doesn't kill me prepares me. And he's been trying to kill me every day of my life. So I've had a lot of training and a lot of preparation. So God, we ready for greatness. Whatever doesn't kill you prepares you. Here's the last thing that happens with Moses. There's a couple other things. Here's the last thing. So we got to get over. We got to get over this idea that we are rejected and we got to get past because on the other side of rejection is greatness. We also have to get, understand that everything that's happened in our lives has prepared you for that moment where God is going to introduce you what his will and purpose is. And as you live in that, you'll experience greatness. But then here's something else that happens in chapter four. And here's what I want to close. And as soon as the band comes out, y'all can start playing. Here's what it says. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I have to say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So Moses is like, I can go, but I've gone before. I've been rejected. So God, I need something on my resume that I can bring to them that will make them say, oh, you got it. No, we can do it. So okay. He's all, you need something. All right, all right. Now God could have given him something. But God doesn't give him anything. But he asked a question. He said, what is it that you have in your hand? What do you have? And he says, a staff. I need y'all to hear that. A staff. Not a golden staff. Not a made staff. The Hebrew word there for staff, for all intents and purposes, is a long stick. <laughs> Follow me. That is broken off from something that Moses is picking up and using to do his job. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so here's what God, <laughs> this just blows my mind. He's like, I'm going to take whatever you already have. And use it for you to walk in your greatness. Now, here is what, there's so many different places we can go. Where we ask the question, what do we have? What do we have? And we look at that and do an inventory of our lives. But here is why it's so important that God says you have, we uses the staff. Because the staff is something ordinary. It's, it, it's broken off of something. Because here is why I need you to hear. That God asks you that question. What do you have? And when we answer, we try to find our best stuff. But sometimes what we need to do is when God says, what do you have? We say brokenness. What do you have? Heartache. What's in your hand? Depression. What's in your hand? Rejection. What's in your hand? Anger. What's in your hand? Disappointment. And here's how awesome our God is. He's going to take that anger. He's going to take that depression. 
He's going to take that rejection and use it as proof to help you live in your greatness. So I don't care how broken you are today. I don't care at the bottom you are today. God can take anything we have and use it to be great for him. He said, I don't know what you have today. I don't know what you have today. But it don't matter. Because if you just give it to him, he can work wonders with it. We pray that this message has been a blessing to you. So much so that you would be willing to share it as a witness. As always, thank you again for joining us. And tune in weekly for more inspirational messages that will prayerfully give you a more intimate relationship with God.